Hey, potential podcast listeners. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or overwhelmed, then our sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. You can talk to your therapist in a private, safe, online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise with BetterHelp's 20,000-plus therapist network that gives you access to help that may not be available in your area. All you do is simply fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in just under 48 hours. After that, you can schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything you share is completely confidential. Join the over 3 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Our listeners will get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com Potential. That's BetterHelp.com Potential. Take charge of your mental health with BetterHelp. And remember, know your potential. This episode is a sponsored partnership by Keen. So, you finally decided that you want to seek psychic advice. But now you're just sitting there and you're asking yourself, why Keen? Shouldn't I just look into psychics near me? It would probably be a lot easier. Our response? Why would you? Keen connects you with talented tarot readers and astrologers. If you want to get a reading on Keen, it's super easy to start. They've been giving trustworthy readings since 1999, over 35 million to be exact. All you have to do is create an account, and you'll be able to choose from hundreds of readers who are online right now. These readers each have unique specialties designed to provide a deeper understanding of your situation. Want to learn more about your love life? What's your financial future look like? Are you looking for a closure from a deceased loved one? Keen has a reader ready to provide clarity and insight. You can choose whichever reader best suits your needs, and you'll be able to connect via phone call or text. Just go to trykeen.com potential. As a new customer on Keen, you can try your first 10 minutes for only $1.99, which is up to $99 in savings. Once again, that's trykeen.com potential. Get your first 10 minutes for $1.99. And remember, know your potential. Talking all things entertainment, pop culture, and nerdum. This is the Potential Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to the Potential Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Dewar, and I'm joined by my co host, Taylor Sokol. Well, Taylor, today's an interesting day because you know what it is? What? It is my birthday. It is. I know. <laughs> Shameless I know. plug for myself. Did you get that gift I sent you? I sure did. Okay. I I'm sure glad. did. Yeah. And thank you for that. That was uh, very, very awesome. Um, yeah. Wow. 33. Uh, what a what a random age. You know, I was thinking, if you're thinking of, uh, if you kind of look at longevity of thinking, oh, will I make it to 99? Well, hey, I've, I've made it to a third of the way. So um, 33, yeah. here we go. Still pretty awesome. I'm catching up awesome. There. But, um, you know, this is an exciting week, Taylor, yes, apart is. from uh, getting to turn another year older. 
making that way up to 35. That's the real exciting numbers from that point on. Uh, this week, we're kind of celebrating a somewhat anniversary of a famous property. Um, it's not like a one of those definite like, oh, it's the 90th or the 103rd, you know. It's 82. Another random year, yeah. The random year. We had to get to it in a random year, but we're talking this week about The Wizard of Oz, uh, the property, of course, by Frank Baum and all of its glory. So many things that have happened with this franchise, and the movie came out, yeah, August 25th, 1939, um, and it still remains one of the most classic, you know, beloved films of all time. So today we're going to be talking all things Wizard of Oz and actually getting into many of its sub-properties, including one, you know, little musical that's maybe done really well for a long time. It's like a prequel or something. So um, I might have heard of something like that. <laughs> hey, it's something. I'm trying to remember the name of it as a little title. It's one word. We'll get to it. But we're not going to be doing that alone. Today, we're joined by a guest, aren't we, Taylor? Yes, we are. Very excited about our guest today. Uh, I had the pleasure of meeting her virtually, then in person, and now again virtually and making new friends with this malt. It's kind of hard to lump uh, her into one category. Multi, let's say multi-hyphenated. She's an actor, entertainer, producer, host, and acting coach. Uh, please welcome to the show today, Kate Leprest. Hi, everyone. Hello. I had to unmute myself. That's okay. <laughs> now, did, I say your, did I say your last name right? Is Leprest or Leprest? I did. Okay, gotcha. Leprest. Leprest, Leprest. Yeah. It's not Laprest. Yeah, okay. Yeah. There's no A. Because <laughs> there's no A. <laughs> Well, welcome. We're so glad you are here on the Potential Podcast, uh, especially for this topic, um, because you have gone to play one of these witches in uh, Wicked before, which is, uh, of course, we'll talk about that later on. But, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, getting to our the, 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 the movie itself, or I guess the property of Wizard of Oz, what are your earliest memories of either reading one of the books or the first time you saw the movie? Um, this is a, it's actually an interesting kind of story for me, considering that eventually it led to me being in that one word musical um, <laughs> for a period of time. Uh, obviously, I knew what The Wizard of Oz was. I don't have direct memories of watching the movie for the first time, though I sh I'm sure I had. But my first real discovery of um, learning to love a library is when I discovered the set of Baum's books in my local library. Uh, it, I grew up in a small town in Illinois called Deer, called named Deerfield, Illinois. Uh, it's a northern suburb of Chicago, and we were down in the children's section, and I was messing around in the B aisle. Couldn't tell you why, probably because it was in the beginning, and <laughs> found that there was not just one Wizard of Oz book. There were all. There's a whole set. And um, I probably I don't remember having read all 14, but I definitely plowed through seven or eight. Um, and that's when I actually learned to love a library and learned that there was cool treasures. Oh, yeah. The joys of books, uh, something we've, we've talked a lot on this podcast, how absolutely uh, the, the joy of using your imagination, you know, the, the, the author will paint a picture for you with their words, but it's you getting to visualize with your mind. Mm -hmm. what the story is what these characters look like and that is something that can never be taken away and I think that's why something like this has definitely uh, stayed so uh, connected to audiences of all ages is that there is so much to take from this I mean just the original story but then you know it's been kind of surprising to think too that although there has been 
you know, we had you know, Return to Oz and there's been like spinoff things and spinoff shows and stuff. There hasn't really been a huge uh, demand to make like exact sequels of all these books. Kind of similar in a way, right. I think of um, like another property like Chronicles of Narnia. We've had a few sequels, but then it kind of has like gone away into the, the wayside again. Um, but uh, yeah, see, surprisingly for me, I I definitely remember my grandparents having a VHS copy of the movie, uh, which we would watch from time to time, but I've actually never read any of the books. I have not either. I'm I have, I have read Wicked. Um, I did read Wicked a couple years I'm ago. I'm going to tell you a very interesting piece of information about me. I have been in the Wicked and I have attempted to read the Wicked book twice and I have never gotten through it. It's just, it's, so it's not hard. that it's bad. I just haven't gotten through it. Um, it's tough. It's tough. I, you know, I started doing other things like, I don't know, being in the show, I guess. I don't yeah, that's a small thing. <laughs> I think I know how this goes. I think I know how this goes. Um, it's interesting in that I was doing an ample amount of research on this topic so that I could, you know, discuss with you guys uh, <laughs> The Wizard of Oz and was reading that L. Frank Baum wanted to write specifically in the vein of fairy tales, Grimm, Hans Christian Andersen, and he wanted to create a world like that. He wanted to create a series. And at the time, the, the book came out in 1900, 1900 um, but it did not have any kind of movie interest until uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Oh, which makes sense. So successful in 1937. Uh, and that is when I believe um, Metro Goldwyn Mayer bought the property to make the movie to try to uh, compete with Disney in this fairy tale folklore sector of entertainment. I think that was that was because there wasn't a lot of stuff for family friendly material at the time. There was still a lot of the, uh, you know, kind of the action and the Western and all that. Uh, so I think that was kind of exciting. The fact that this is kind of the turn where, OK, there is a market for this. So let's it go was for considered it. they the reason. So the, between obviously when we can talk about this, the books and bringing it to life as the movie, The Wizard of Oz, there were several changes and one of them is that in the wizard of oz the book this actually happened you know like she the tornado happened did all these things whereas in the movie it's kind of like it happened in a dream yeah you situation. were there and you were there <laughs> and you were there and you were there and it's sepia tones and it's technicolor and all these things because they were like a sophisticated our audiences in 1939 are too sophisticated to believe that <laughs> A girl would be blown away in a in a tornado. So we have to <laughs> do a magical land. So yeah. we have to literally make it a dream. And I'm like, wow, 1937. Like, go you. What kind of, what kind <laughs> of like stick up your ass did you have? <laughs> Jeez. Well, it probably was uh, you know the Great Depression. So everyone's like, let's get real here. <laughs> they couldn't even afford the stick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just had very it. very hoity toity. Um, well, it is. Yeah, if you've done any research or uh, you know the history of this movie, even though it's a beloved classic now, it was a pain in the butt to make. This film had a lot of problems. And I do think it's one of those that maybe just for the time period and 
maybe because something with animation was such a, a easier format to paint a picture of fantasy and uh, imagination. There was just a lot that I think they, they wanted to get it right, but you have a lot of different people butting heads and then just uh, almost feels like one of those like curse projects that eventually turned out right. And it, you know, it's now this historical film, but man, just to, to see some of the problems with this, this movie, it's amazing to think that it never got finished at all. Um, and for the time period being money wise, you know, I always think it's fun to think of, oh, what was the budget of a movie back then? Nowadays, it seems so small, but you know, this started costing almost $3 million and did not really recoup very well uh, in its original run. Um, and it's just, it's surprising to think that the movie got finished. I mean, they had uh, a couple change of directors midway. They had a couple change of actors um, uh, due to some sickness. Um, and it's, it's, it's and even then like full numbers that were filmed and then had to be cut. Uh, which at that time, like nowadays, we're kind of used to seeing films that have like a bunch of extra features and stuff. And but at that time, that would probably like the, it's infamous that the jitterbug sequence was fully filmed and then had to be cut. And like that was probably so much money to do in the first place and then have to be like cut. It's not going to make the final uh, cut. So uh, it's just interesting, interesting to think of all the problems that this film had. And yet it has lasted, it has remained to this day. Uh, such a beautiful film that people really do love. When was the first time you got to see it? Do you, do you have any early memories, Taylor, when you first saw Wizard of Oz? Yeah, I, like you, I think it was a VHS at the time that I had seen it, and I just became enthralled with this. And I, I think by heart, I I'll love any kind of movie with musical or any kind of song that you can stick in your head. I mean, to this day, like if I'm getting ready in the morning, the shower, I'm like, la, 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 you know, I don't know why, like just stuff like that. So I think just at an early age, I may have seen it like probably eight or nine and it just continued to stick with me. Cause I was like, you know, especially when you're a kid, you know, growing up, you know, when we did like in the you know, 80s and 90s, you see a lot of this, like, you look at, there's still that looking at old movies, like, oh, you know, whatever, that's like, but I was just so enthralled with that movie as a kid, like, this is the craziest thing ever, I just, just really, it stuck with me to this day, that I was just so um, amazed by, you know, what had, it did for me, the music and everything, and going back now, it's, it's very touching to watch it, like, it's, you know, just very, very well done, and it doesn't really have that cheese of, like, that, you know, old style movie. And you think about all the, you know, talking about the production issues, you know, going back and, and thinking about just like the costumes and stuff and how there was, you know, there's a, for that time that was, they're trying to be as sophisticated as possible. It was a little tough, you know, if they had to deal with some of that stuff today, it's crazy. But yeah, I just love that movie. Yeah. I think then uh, Bert Lahr, um, they actually used real like lion fur and stuff for his uh costume it was like 75 80 pounds or something ridiculous like and that. i think you know and, and it was about the guy the original actor for the tin man like the stuff that they had for him was like toxic yeah, he, like yeah he got allergic and, and he, Epson, he yeah. had yeah, an allergic yeah. reaction to the aluminum paint that they were using on his face and apparently he had complained about it early on in the process and they were like yeah 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 kid you're fine congrats you know <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah uh and then he ended up in critical condition in the hospital and was unable to return to set. And that's when they brought in uh, Jack Holly to finish. But, you know, they had to, you know, similar to when they have to paint the green girl green in the one word show, like they had to figure out how 
they're going to get this makeup on him on this person and not I, apparently they ended up putting white clown makeup on underneath and changing the aluminum paint to like a powder ah, or something okay. um that like allowed him to breathe uh and live but the only in order to save money because so many things had kind of gone awry at that point they re-recorded him singing just his solos but it's still the original actor Ebsen's voice in all the group numbers wow yeah they didn't record all the group numbers again they, that's crazy they probably yeah, were like we crazy. can't well, <laughs> who are you? Yeah. Um, and I mean, I think, you know, if you love the folklore behind the movie, you know, you probably know that story. And you also know about Margaret Hamilton, who played the Wicked Witch of the West, who uh, is on AFI 100 Years 100 Movies um, Heroes and Villains list. The Wicked Witch of the number West one, is, right? is number four. Oh, number oh, four. Wow. Okay. She's number four. But that's like pretty close to like one. I mean, well, especially how long this it old, is iconic. I mean, 82 yeah. years. I mean, that's she's endured as a villain all this time. And and get this, she came onto the project three days before they started filming. Crazy. They were supposed to have someone else, and she was like, "I think it'll make me look bad." I mean, you got to do what you got to do. It just but... seems like that's the time when actors and actresses are really more image conscious. Now, like you got some of these actors and actors just just doing everything they can. They want to diversify. Or you got like Christopher Walken, who's in everything that he can possibly do. <laughs> just being Christopher uh, Walken. But um, yeah. <laughs> Margaret Hamilton uh, had a similar uh, situation with makeup on that set as well. Um, you, the very end when the Wicked Witch, or well, sorry, pardon me, in Munchkinland when she, ah, you know, she, and there was a, there was an elevator when smoke and fire came out and that was the big thing. They did two runs of it. The first one went fine. The second one, the fire came too soon and she had third degree burns on her face and hands wow. and spent three months um, recuperating after that. Jeez. So. Like... Yeah, this, this production was just <laughs> fraught with like, you know, near death experiences. <laughs> fraught, I tell you. And the work days are, apparently were somewhere because of Technicolor, this is the first time they had been working in that with a huge amount of people on that set and costumes and all this kind of thing. Apparently they were putting in, the film shoot took six months and they were putting in from like 4 a.m. to 7 p.m. every day. It took the guy who was the scarecrow an hour to get his face mask off every day. Ray Bulger, wow. Ray Bulger, who was originally cast as the Tin Man. Yeah, see, it's just the swapping around and just like so much crazy. You're like, how did this ever get done? And I think like, like this movie nowadays is something that, um, although, you know, would heavily use CGI for some elements, it just seems like makeup has come along so well in the last, you know, 80 years that it it's would be- It's not killing people. It's yeah, not exactly. people. It doesn't take that long to- you know, obviously, some movies have really gotten to detail to, that it can take a long time to get on, but have really they've they've really grown the process of how to get things off. I actually have a funny story about that. Um, if if you don't mind me jumping oh, into that, oh, by all means. Um, <clears throat> it was normally usually put in um, the alphabet contracts that they were contracted to receive um, facials. Oh, okay. Because of the high amount of green paint and pigment, it's it's stage paint. It's very safe, everybody. It's very very safe. Uh, they have to wear it on their hands and they have to wear it a certain kind of amount onto their 
chest and shoulders as well, but they're contracted therefore to get facials. Um, Christy Cates, who was um, one of our alphabas in Chicago for the majority of the time that I was there was getting said facial and the esthetician is pulling green stuff out of her pores and had a, uh, and freaked out. She had no idea. And she's like, there's something wrong. There's something wrong with you. She had no idea. And Christy's trying to explain to her, no, I'm the witch. I'm the wicked witch. I'm the witch. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. So alphabet problems. Alpha, oh, yeah. Scarier esthetician. Well, okay. This movie, Wizard of Oz, although it did have a lot of problems and it didn't really necessarily do a, a huge amount in its initial release, um, it did get nominated for six Academy Awards including Best Picture, uh, but lost to Gone with the Wind, which was also directed by Victor Fleming. So um, the no, man won, okay. at least he was doing it right. <laughs> he was doing them both at the same time. At the same time. And to think Gone with the Wind is a four-hour movie, and that's cut. So you got to think that movie was crazy long. This movie is not crazy long, but, you know, to, to, to handle everything that's in that time period, insane. Um, but it did win for Best Original Song over the Rainbow, which I think is probably... For oh. most people, the most remembered song from this movie, or you know, at least one that people definitely can recognize easily, especially from Judy Garland's performance, and Herbert Stohart won Best Original Score. And speaking of Judy Garland, I mean, definitely, you know, this is the era of uh, Judy going into all these musical movies. But this one, I think, what she was only like sixteen at the time, I believe, when filming this one. She's fairly young. Um, and yeah, think of all those work days, like the long, constant hours um, and how much, but to think of this starring role that really, I think was one that really put her on the map. Like this is the role everyone thinks of, oh, Dorothy, I wanna be Dorothy. Well, on top of all that, her chest was being bound. She was being given uh, uh, Benzedrine tablets to keep her weight down and a cocktail of uppers and downers. Ah, uh, Hollywood in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. You want to be a star kid? Take this hey, drink. Take this. You'll be skinny um, and enduring <laughs> a lot of um, abuse from Ugh. executives and people. There's a, there's a lot of claims that mu the Munchkins were really inappropriate to her. I, well. I would say we were going to get to the Munchkins. Um, it is kind of fascinating. I mean, nowadays, obviously, still sometimes for certain movies and certain things, uh, little people as uh, as a proper term, I guess. Uh, are cast for things but the huge amount of little people that were cast for munchkins along with kids disguised as munchkins which you know but like yeah to hear that there was um a lot of just not so good things they were uh very uh raunchy i guess you could say uh without going into too far in the detail and uh, I mean, it, it is such a fantastic sequence, that whole uh, Munchkin Land. It really does pop. It's so, you know, the, 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 I do love how this film incorporated the, the sepia tone to color. It is still one of the most famous scenes in the movie. And all the Munchkins, the way they pop out, and there's so many of them. And the whole all the songs are great, but to hear a little bit of the behind the scenes is not so fun. And there's also that long-term rumor about uh, the Munchkin that hung himself. Yeah, I... I've, 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 I've kind of over time, I've read so many things that have debunked it. And then some that have like, yeah, tried to like zoom in on a clip and be like, see that little part right there in and a lot of people think it's the scene where they go into the forest and there's like the kind of big like cranes and stuff. It's not like the ostriches or whatever. 
it's not that scene. People have claimed that sometime in the big Munchkinland sequence, there is a, an actor that hung himself because of all the stress and long hours. Again, a weird rumor that I don't, you know, for the life of me, know if that's true or not. Um, but th- what an interesting thing that has been correlated with this movie of, <laughs> of hope and, and joy and fantasy and then that whole situation. So can't tell you if it's true or not, but uh, that's something that has definitely been... Uh, <laughs> correlated with this movie but what um you know to think of the the longevity of this movie um you know i think it's something that you you easily now it's like part of pop culture so much that you see this everywhere uh which obviously i'm sure led to the show we'll talk about a little later but um to think like where you easily see wizard of oz everywhere in terms of just not even uh in cinema like you know obviously re-releases and this is on tv all the time but like people doing parodies of this on like snl mad tv um merchandise uh we've had cartoon shows sequels prequels and think about the lines i mean it's part of our, the lexicon there's no place like home and you know uh you know i'll get you my little pretty little dog too like just there's so many we're not in kansas anymore exactly there's just so many of these iconic lines of of, of memorable movie quotes they're they're in everything and it's it's nuts to think that that's still like modern audiences today and even kids today still can appreciate that or it comes up in conversation and and you know it's the wizard of oz it's just it's just synonymous with that one of the most interesting things that i read up on um so yes we are fraught with a lot of um crazy things fraught Somebody get out there at the thesaurus and look up something else. I <laughs> uh, did not. I should have looked up all the words for fraught and wrote uh, them down. Um, but I like in, fraught. Fraught's fraught. Good. In the midst of all of these things, um, there were about 11 writers working on this all at the same time. And Yip Harburg, who wrote the lyrics for Somewhere Over the Rainbow, uh, is actually credited for writing a large majority of the of the script or some of the most important pivotal moments of the script, which I think is really interesting coming from a, I come from a musical theater background and being like, I know how we're gonna lead into the song. Give me the pen and paper. This is what she's gonna say. Um, but he's also credited for coming up with, uh, and you had the brain and you had the heart all along and the brain and this kind of thing. And I love that a musical theater writer is the one to come in and create some of those lasting and iconic scenes uh or lines that we're talking about i was like yeah of course he did (laughs) yes because sometimes the best things come from musical theater thank you very much uh but um (laughs) no yeah it's very true uh and that yeah that right there too think of this this whole movie the message that the thing you were looking for you always had it um i think it's a great message for kids and i did, did it feel like that is how the original book came off. Um, you know what? You would have to ask like eight-year-old Kate. Gotcha. Um, All right, it's in the time machine, DeLorean. We'll go back in time. Um, <laughs> I, I remember having liked the book enough to and I was not a reader at the time trust me all the interesting stuff was going on in my head at that particular time uh and I was like this book is fantastic but I do remember um like I said kind of plowing through a number of those books um but I don't remember the specific that that specific correlation to Mm. the book there's obviously a lot of um 
changes between the book and coming to the, the the silver screen most notably being the book it was called they were called the silver shoes and they changed them to the ruby slippers which are as we know today they have to be the ruby slippers and they did that because technicolor had a pop had a pop it had to pop on screen <laughs> in in the books when Dorothy left, all of the lion, the Tin Man, the the Scarecrow, all went on to rule different sections of Oz, um, and they were all separated by color. Like the Munchkins wear green, and the some other Oz. I'm trying to come up with them right now. Like Ozians. they listen, Ozians, <laughs> the Ozians. They wear blue, yeah. and then you know that kind of um, which I was super kind of. I thought that was very cool as a kid. Uh, but not as on display in the movie in that way. Well, okay. I want to go in. We'll, we'll kind of finish this first half up a little bit with, um, I guess, kind of continue to talk about the lasting franchise of this. Um, I was fortunate enough to get to do a national tour of Wizard of Oz as a scarecrow. And it was the, um, there's been a few different uh, productions of Wizard of Oz into musical form. Um, Angela Weber's taking a crack at it. Obviously, uh, The Wiz is pretty uh, popular. My fave, my fave. Some of the best music, honestly. Um, but I got to do the version that was very true to the movie. And it was very apparent as we went on uh, city to city how how much this movie means to people. And definitely, uh, again, the generation gap of seeing people that um, we got to meet people that, you know, had seen it early in its uh, uh, release. Um, as a kid or down to, you know, grandchildren have now got to see it with their family. And just, you know, when you, when you go to a show and you, you'd see people dressed up as the characters and how much it means to them. Uh, it just shows that this, this really does have a, a lasting effect. And um, it was kind of cool. At one point we were in, I want to say it might've been Nebraska or something like that, but there's, there's a place where we got to meet, we met Frank L. Baum's, I want to say it was like his, nephew or grandson or we met someone that was related to Frank L. Baum in some way wow. and it was really neat to be like um kind of you know his history of when he when he was alive because uh, he was he was fairly old when we met him and there was like a little museum we went to at some point that had a lot of uh, memorabilia and some of the early editions of the books and um you know it's like I, I've always connected with the movie and I've seen some of the other properties but it, it didn't really hit me how much like this story does mean to people and how some people like there are full on like Oz fan groups that like, you know, we, we, we talked about on the past, on the past in this podcast, there are some of these fantasy realms like Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Avatar. There are some of these places that people really do love so much that they really wish they could escape this world that we live in and live in that world and definitely there are there are groups of people out there that wish they could live in oz so they try to stay in that world as much as possible through rewatches, through reading the books memorabilia etc etc have you guys do you have any memories of at least if you've seen any i mean there's like return to oz there was like the a couple years ago there was like a animated oz movie there was that one with james franco kind of the prequel movie. Yes, what was that? It had Rachel Weisz and it had Oz, Michelle Williams. Oz, Oz the Great and Powerful. Oz the Great and Powerful. I don't want to be a good man. I want to be a great one. That's I, I always just remember that line. I think I saw it on a plane, but I'm a terrible flyer. So um, I was probably like, 
clutching for life and drinking terrible cups of coffee <laughs> and not doing the kind of paying attention that I should have. Um, yeah, I should have, I should pay more attention. I remember it visually being interesting, but a lot of the story didn't quite add up in the ending. Um, because they kind of painted the picture that um, he being a young man that was, you know, it makes sense with the longevity of, of the wizard being someone that uses circus tricks to kind of, you know, parlor tricks to, to get people to think that he's something that he's not. He was also kind of a, a somewhat of a romantic and he kind of had the witches kind of vying for his attention. So you got the, you got the idea that him and um, the girl that, you know, would eventually become the Wicked Witch of the West kind of had a thing. And so then it kind of like, I just always love when a prequel movie tries to do something that would then doesn't correlate with like later. It's like, I can't see like the Wizard of Oz and the Wicked Witch of the West having this like somewhat romance, uh, you know. That's why he sent them there to get the broom. He's like, I can't deal with her. You deal with her. She's a nutcase. Uh, I don't want to get into it. This is why I do this little face thing. Um, yeah. And there was a couple, there was a couple things like, oh, that's how the Carolina got started. It was like little like weird, like trying to be cheeky, but uh, I enjoyed it for 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 that purpose, but yeah, I would have. Yeah, I know. I know you're saying. You know, one one um, version of Wizard of Oz that came out. Um, what was this? Um, had to be oh, 2005. I'm researching. I'm not. I'm not that good with dates. Uh, but it was the Muppets Wizard of Oz, and it was like a direct. It was I the, forgot about yeah. that. Yeah, and uh, this was. I remember it was a it was a Queen Latifah's in it, uh, Ashanti, and. It just had a, such a such a great cast in this one. Um, Quentin Tarantino's in it, Jeffrey Tambor, and uh, I remember on TV and anything Muppets, you're gonna be this. This was a lot of fun. Just it was like perfect, perfect casting for everyone. You know, Fozzie Bear is the lion, and you know it was just oh, just perfect. <laughs> I really should have watched that. I, I I was doing my research on you know uh, my my favorite. Um, I really enjoyed um, Return to Oz. Yeah, it's I it's, thought it was well. The Wiz is my favorite. Period. Um, incarnation of the whole musical at least uh version um because it's awesome but um yeah i i i loved i loved return to oz with Feruza Volk. it was actually a disney property it obviously became a cult film it wasn't hugely popular at the time but you know it's one of those like if you know you know um yeah i remember loving that as a kid but if, if you do remember in the movie dorothy and m put dorothy in a mental institute <laughs> Remember that? She because she kept talking about Oz and they were like, they shock you. <laughs> they were it was very scary, but that's how she got back to Oz. She was in a mental institute and she got shocked and there was a lightning bolt or something. I was like, ooh, should I be watching this? That's the one with the the pumpkin guy, right? Is one the of the pumpkin guy. There's like guys with spinny things on their hands. And I gotta re you know what? I'm gonna rewatch that. And then I'm gonna watch the Muppet one after that. I do like that some of the other films get to kind of delve into some of the more of the material. Like I did remember like in the Oz, the Great and Powerful, they had like the whole realm with like the kind of, um, what, what's the material for like teacups and stuff? Um, porcelain? Uh, porcelain. They had like yeah. the whole, like there, there's a part of the books where like there's a whole porcelain village with like porcelain doll stuff. And they did include that in the movie. Yes, that's, that's part of the books part of the books and so I, I do like when at least some of the material can be expanded from the books to not just be repeats and so I think Return to Oz and these other sequels or prequels had kind of tackled some of that but obviously none of them have had the legs that 
uh, The Wizard of Oz has. But a property that is in the franchise of The Wizard of Oz that has definitely had major legs and has continued to really be a huge sensation. And we're looking forward to eventually a movie at some point, they keep telling us. But um, we're going to take a little break here. And when we get back, we're going to get to a little, a little wicked topic. Eh? A wicked eh? topic called Wicked? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wicked. Fraught with wickedness. Oh, fraught. Yeah. Fraught. <laughs> There's no place like home. 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 Goodbye, Dorothy. Take care. <laughs> well... I guess that's it. Yes, it is. <laughs> I miss her already. <laughs> Pull yourself together already, or I'll start crying. Now what do we do? <laughs> oh, my dear friends, that's quite simple. Glinda, what do you mean? Well, you simply use your newfound gifts and take them down the yellow brick road. You mean we have to go back the way we came? I don't think my heart can take another adventure, let alone my stomach, if I had one. Oh no, that was a metaphor. A metaphor? Well, according to Merriam-Webster, a metaphor is a figure of speech in which a word or phrase literally denoting one kind of object or idea is used in place of another to suggest a likeness or analogy between them. Why you and that new brain of yours? Sheesh. Yes, my dears. It's time you got out and forged your own path. Where is your Kansas? What do you want? Go out and do it. Well, boys, what do you say? Let's, Let's go. go. <laughs> and so the three friends went on to accomplish their dreams. Scarecrow went on to create the first University of Oz. He was a true wizard in marketing. Aussians, munchkins, and flying monkeys, oh my, far and wide, flocked to get their education. Back to the fields he went. He became an investor and invested in agriculture. He's currently on a vendetta to eradicate all the crows of Oz. The Tin Man with a new heart found his true calling. He followed his first love of music and started a band, the Brass Boys. They toured all over Oz and signed a huge record deal. Their big hit was Rusted Love. In and out of rehab and three divorces later, he went into philanthropic work. He now runs an apple tree brewery. As for the lion, he went on to be the true king of the forest and led an era of peace. He became a life coach, helping others with facing their fears. Guru Lion, they call him. He's written two books and reached the top of the Munchkin Times bestseller list. He's married now with three cubs of his own. As for me, I've been the CEO of the Oz Bubbly Company, bringing delicious bubble-themed beverages to the people of Oz and enjoying the profits. Life is Oz-some. <laughs> Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. 
We've come back. We've come back to Oz. Whoa, crikey. Look at this one. In awe, a little furry creature. They may be cute, but be careful. Their bite can be quite deadly. That's not a bite. This is a bite. Calm yourself, Dundee. She's just a girl. Who are you guys? Steve Irwin. Nice to meet you. Good eye, miss. Name's Paul. But you can call me Dundee. And I'm Hugh. Hugh Jackman. And you are little miss? I'm Dorothy. Dorothy Gale of Kansas. And who's this magnificent beast? Oh, this is Toto. Bark, bark, bark. What a beautiful bark. Whoa, did you see that? Be calm, Steve. Can you just for a minute? So wait, I thought I came back to Oz. This is Oz, Australia. You know, down under. Australia? Oh my, I thought I came back to Oz. It's a magical place where I met a talking scarecrow and a tin man and a lion. Ah, the lion, known as the Panthera Leo. Such a beauty, but be careful. They can be quite... Put a sock on it, Steve. Did you say a talking scarecrow? Yes, and I met a wizard and munchkins and even defeated a wicked witch with water. Right. You think she's gone tropo? I don't know. Sounds a bit out there, you reckon? I'm telling the truth. Well, I believe you, Dorothy. Your Oz sounds like a real beauty. But now you're in our Oz. And there's no place like home. Tell me about it. Come on, Dorothy and Toto. It's time we show you ours. Let's have a walkabout. I can't wait. Hugh, may I? Go ahead, Steve. Oh, Dorothy, it's a real beauty. The best food, gorgeous landscapes. But be careful. We've got some of the deadliest creatures in the world. Snakes, crocodiles, giant spiders, poisonous jellyfish. Sharks, oh what a bite, octopus, tentacles everywhere, and oh, can't believe I didn't mention this one, stonefish, oh and don't forget the insects, oh what a beauty, but magnificent stones, oh Australia, just the best. And we're back. Yes we are. So we obviously have teased this the entire episode, um, <laughs> it's not in the title already. Yeah, why is it like Voldemort? Like, we won't say it out loud. <laughs> We're going to talk about Wicked. We're talking about Wicked <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, we had uh, 1995, Gregory Maguire. He wrote Wicked, The Life and Times of the Wicked Witch of the West. Which, to think about nowadays, we are, like, quite obsessed with these movies and stories of explaining how a villain became a villain. Uh, we've had, you know, recently we just had Corello, we had Maleficent, we've had Joker, um, we had that show Ratched um, about uh, the character from uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and... You mean Ratchet. Ratchet, yeah, that's yeah. right, yeah. I need to watch that because I'm obsessed with Sarah Paulson. That's just side a side note. I need to as well. But we are we are obsessed now with the nature of how did someone become this villain? And really... I think Wicked was one of the first ones to do that. Um, I because, agree. Yes, I, I I still do agree with that list that the Wicked Witch of the West is one of the most iconic villains of all time, up there with characters like Hannibal Lecter and Darth Vader. And yes, we've had also those prequels as well. We've had the prequel series of Hannibal on TV, and obviously we had the prequel movies for Darth Vader. But we had this book 
and then eventually Stephen Schwartz and Winnie Hots Holzman would write the musical of Wicked, uh, which came out in 2003 to wondrous acclaim. And this musical, I do think when you said earlier that it was hard to read Wicked, I fully agree. It is a very tough book. If you're going from the Wizard of Oz books to Wicked, it is such a, a, a different beast. Um, it is a very adult book uh, in many, many ways, and it's tough. So I think they took, honestly, the best elements of that book that a general audience would get and love with some nostalgia from what this property is with an amazing score. And they put it into this blockbuster musical. And it's been, you know, looking at the last 20 years of Broadway, the musicals that have uh, lasted and stayed on, Wicked is one that is just, it's never going to go away. It is definitely here to stay. People love it. For sure. And it's been a worldwide phenomenon on all over the world. And you got to be in the show, which is amazing. So I did get to be in the show. When when did you get to when was your time with Wicked? Let's get into this is Kate's Wicked story. Here we go. There are there are so There's, many wicked. So stories. many, I'm sure. Um I do as I as we mentioned, I'm a multi-hyphenate and I do a good deal of, of coaching and um love working um as an educator and reaching out and everyone always says when they'll bring me on again, they're like, you got to tell your wicked stories. You got to tell your wicked stories. Um, <laughs> because some of them and some of the things that happen in live theater are totally ridiculous and very, Oh, fun. and we um, love them. We love, we, lo- we love them. They're great. Um, so, um, my time with wicked began in 2005. Um, I was that, uh, musical theater kid in college who, uh, listened to the Wicked cast recording driving between Chicago and the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, where I went to school for musical theater. I have distinct memories of listening to Defying Gravity while, you know, driving 75 miles an hour um, <clears throat> in a Jeep Wrangler on a highway, which was <laughs> probably really dangerous. <laughs> um, in um, the national tour um, of Wicked sat down for a limited, the first national tour sat down for a limited engagement in Chicago um, in early 2000, this April to June of 2005. Um, but this rumor started coming about in the late winter, early spring of that year. It's, Wicked is coming. Wicked's coming to Chicago. OMG, you know, all these things. Uh, and I happened to be on spring break from college and was in Chicago, home in Chicago. And my dad, of course, you know, in the newspaper, they're auditioning for Wicked, you should do it. Um, So I did. uh, And that was my first introduction to, I would say, probably auditioning as a, like a professional, um, on a professional scale as an adult. Um, It was cool that it was in Chicago. Some of the people that I know today who are fellow actors like me, uh, my age, came up from their college and I met them there that day. I remember meeting them. Um, And that is how the casting office tells you casting kind of first laid eyes on me. I was a senior in college and I got, you know, an email. Hi, I'm so-and-so at the Telsey office. You have a callback for Wicked kind of thing. Um, so that's how it began. I had not yet graduated from college. Um, <clears throat> eventually I did uh, graduate from college in January, February, March, April of that year and continued to have um, several auditions for actually my first audition 
back in New York City after doing my summer stock work in Warsaw, Indiana at the Wagon Wheel Theater. I literally drove from Warsaw to the airport and got on a plane and flew to New York and auditioned. For, I had another audition wow. for Wicked. Wow. That's I think awesome. I had about seven that year altogether between initial auditions and callbacks. And callbacks. It, was, hmm. it was clear that they were interested in me and that they were just trying to find the right spot for me in a company. After the limited engagement, they did decide to open a sit-down company of Wicked in Chicago. That was just, and by sit-down company, that's what it means. It doesn't move. It's not a tour. It, it sits down in Chicago at the Oriental Theater. Uh, that began, I think, in this right after the limited engagement tour. So probably in July or August. Uh, my boyfriend at the time got me tickets to see it for my birthday that year. So I sat in the Oriental Theater and watched Wicked. And that was your was that your first time to see it? It was actually my first time to see it. Yeah, <laughs> of course, um, because I hadn't uh, I hadn't I hadn't seen it on Broadway. I actually, didn't see it on Broadway until several 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 years later. Um, but I this is the way the world works, and it's a, a crazy story. Is that I was in these final callbacks around Thanksgiving that year in two thousand five, so November, and. Um, my agent was like, we're getting closer. They're just trying to find a, a space for you. But we were coming up on the Thanksgiving holiday, which basically means that the industry was going to, you know, retreat to their families and take about 10 days to a week off or something like that. And I was going to go home and uh, had this final callback and said to my agent, do you think they need to see anything again? I, I'm going home tomorrow. I'm getting on a plane <clears throat> at like 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. No, no, no. They've seen everything they want to see. Don't worry. And I sat at the airport that next morning and I texted and I said, last chance, I'm getting on a plane. They said, yeah, no problem. Get on the plane. I got off the plane. You didn't leave yet, did you? Oh, no. Yes, I just landed in Chicago. Steven Schwartz needs to hear you sing tomorrow. <laughs> oh, wow. So I uh, care of the Wicked Company. Uh, the next day, they flew me back to New York, <laughs> put me in a car service and drove me to my apartment in Astoria to get my music and whatever I was going to wear for my audition, drove me to the Telsey office. I auditioned, drove me back to the airport, and I got on a plane. Wow. <clears throat> and I was like, so I got it, right? Like, yeah, like this is this is it, right? Come on. I'm gonna, I got it, right? I'm going to do this, Right. And then they went on their Thanksgiving break. Oh, and I didn't wait. hear anything for two weeks. Oh, the worst. The wait. It was awful. I had actually like, it was like the holiday was over. I went back to New York and was sitting in my sublet in, <laughs> in Astoria, Queens, like dying. And I had sat there by my phone for a couple of days and my mom was like, you need to leave the house, leave the house. This is my, my mom doesn't actually talk like this, but when I first I mean, made, mom, you made her sound like the good witch, please yeah. come out. Yeah, no, my daughter. Um, <laughs> like, no, you have to leave the house. You have to go, go look, go to Macy's in Herald Square. Go to and Macy's. Go to Macy's and go pick out something at Macy's for Christmas. Okay, go. And I was like, all right. Yes, I got the call when I was standing in the changing room at Herald Square, Macy's trying on things that I couldn't afford and screamed and the attendants came running because they thought that there was something wrong. Um, 
I had been cast in the Chicago company um, of Wicked, uh, not on the tour, not at the Broadway cast, and I and I had been cast as an ensemble member who also understudied Glinda and Nessa Rose, um, which ended up being a really big job <laughs> to do. I didn't exactly understand the scope at that point. Um, I joined. I I. I joined the cast the day after Christmas of 2005, and I stayed until January of 2007. So I spent 13 months nice. doing that in Chicago. That's, that's incredible. It's crazy. Uh, that was my first like big, big job out of college. I was 22 and 23. Wow, that's amazing. And I think Wicked too is, um, not that there hasn't been uh, roles like this before, but, uh, Definitely think this was uh, a nice game changer that would kind of go into the the next two decades of having um, a really strong female-led show. Uh, because as much as there are great female roles in certain musicals, uh, it's so heavily dominated by sometimes male leads. And this, I think, was a nice change of pace to see, no, this is a show with two female leads. And... Um, both equally strong and this is a musical where you really get to you have Alphaba is such a sympathetic character you really feel for her story there's there's it's a way that they paint the picture of you're thinking oh this is the wicked witch of the west how does she become so wicked i love how the musical kind of paints the picture it's not like the musical angel like oh now she's all evil it's this image thing it's this thing of kind of you know dealing with how she looks and how she's been handled her entire life and then there's elements of the book that I think have always been kind of confusing that I think no matter what, they were never going to be able to, to simplify the whole, like there's a darkness in Oz and, you know, animals are turning this way and, and the wizard, but what was it like for you to feel like, Oh, now I've, I've stepped into this world and, and how this show has really become like a new stepping ground for this franchise of this world of Oz and how it's, it's, it's a, a little darker, different kind of version than the original. I think backpacking off of what you said, it, it's, a, it's a story about female friendship. Yes, there are obviously, there's obviously notes of romance in there, but this, you know, and when now we're looking at stuff like Frozen, where it's about sisters, or Brave, when it was about a, a mother and a daughter kind of thing. Um, it was really, I think, very much the, be, the beginning of that. Um, I would say it, it was very overwhelming at the time because, you know, the success of the Broadway runs only starting in 2003 and the world being absolutely bonkers about it. I stepped in two years later uh, into what is at, what was at the time and it continues to be a massive machine. Um, it's the it's it's now surpassed Les Miserables as the fifth longest running Broadway show of all time. It. It has taken in over $1 billion in revenue. The only other shows to do that are Lion King and, oh, what's the other one? Lion King and Phantom of the Opera. <clears throat> it was a huge, it was a huge undertaking. And at the time, it was like the show, it was the show to be in. Wow, this is really intense. Um, and also we were in Chicago, which was my hometown and uh it was it was big it was it was big for me to be involved um and a huge responsibility that i 
took very, very seriously. Um, <clears throat> as the understudy, you never really know when you're going on. I ended up going on in the middle of a show, you know, um, at, at one point. Yeah, I took the resp- I took the responsibility very seriously, and I mentioned earlier I didn't realize at the time how much work understudying two different roles within the show and having my own ensemble track would be. Um, it means you go home at night and you go to bed. And now this is a kid who twelve months earlier was in her senior year in college. I don't, I'm not going to bed. I'm hard in it. It was a very, very strict uh, life change. Oh, and I believe, yeah, uh, Ben Platt has talked about this. And a lot of the alpha buzz kind of talk about the sacrifice because there's a lot of alpha buzz who, you know, quit drinking. They don't talk um, in their time off. They like on total preserve, rest. Preserve the voice. Yeah. Preserve. But you, that's the way that you live for, you stop eating spicy foods. You don't drink coffee. Like you change your entire lifestyle and it was my first time being really exposed to that because i was in the middle of like you hear about it you know but this was my first experience with it as the understudy for glinda and nessa rose um i always was at every understudy rehearsal uh and usually and there was a lot of turnover in the cast a lot of people were coming and going all sorts of stuff so we would have rehearsals on thursdays and fridays so between rehearsal rehearsal and then the show on thursday two shows on Wednesday, rehearsal show Thursday, rehearsal show Friday, two Saturday, one on Sunday, day off Monday. Um, it was very, that it's an intense schedule that everybody talks about. Um, but yeah, that, that was, um, and having to go on for two pivotal roles at, at the drop of, at the drop of a hat. How many times did you get to go on for Glinda overall? I probably went on, oh my God, um, I actually started a thing called the Glinda Fund where if you, you get a financial perk, if you um, if you go on, yeah, I called it the Glinda Fund. It was a bank account. And every time I went on for Glinda, I put money in that little fund. And it's what I lived off of when I went back to New York City. Um, not a stupid idea. No. <laughs> um, once, I, once I eventually got thrown on and, and had gone through the process of having a put in and going on as Glinda. I probably went on once every two weeks. There were two, there were two Glinda understudies and they generally swapped. So you knew once you got through one, the next one coming up, it was like, she's got that one. (laughs) And I got to say like, obviously yes, originated by Kristen Chenoweth, but you look at the the original movie. um, We don't know much about Glinda. She kind of comes off very much like the blue fairy from Pinocchio. uh, Just this kind of, uh, you know, the girl in the bubble. I love how the musical really got to expand that character to this really kind of goofy ditzy blonde character that um, I bet that was so much fun to play all that like the very like to show the, the, the differences between how Linda lives her life and how Elphaba lives and then of course how eventually that is such a strong bond uh, that really is the, the main connection of the whole story. I bet that was such a, a just a blast to play. Well, the show really kind of poses the question is who who actually is the wicked one? Mm, yeah. yeah. And where and you know, whereas like, you know, Glinda's the happy, pretty princessy kind of thing, like she has her faults as well. Um they both do. And that that is kind of 
the show poses a really interesting question. So Mia, in that, who actually is wicked? Who is the wicked one? Or what is truly wicked? You know, what is see, truly there's, wicked? There's a lot of the moral ambiguity in a lot of these characters uh, in this. And absolutely. And I, I was so fortunate that I got to see this because forever I didn't. And how I actually finally got to see Wicked was my grand. I was because I travel for work and I was in, uh, I think it was in Jersey uh, or, or Philly or something. And I was... My grandparents were celebrating my grandma's birthday, and they're like, oh, we're in New York. I'm like, oh, I'm only a few hours drive. Let me go there. So I drove up. They're like, well, this day we're gonna do this. We're gonna go. We already have you know tickets to the show. I'm like, you go do you. All right, cool, classic. I didn't say it like that, but you know. So I went and like I'm walking around. The guy's like, hey, I've got these two tickets. We could, I can't go. And he's like, how much you want for him? And I was like, I said, well, all I have is this much in my pocket. I think I had like, I had 60 bucks. He's like, all right, you can take them. I'm like, what? So I'm like, I'm row D. I'm sitting with all these little, little kids and they're having a blast. And I'm like, oh my God. So I was so excited, like spontaneous wicked day. And uh, <laughs> spontaneous wicked day. I know it was, yeah, it was so great. And I was just like, finally got to see that. And this is, this is just like two years ago. So I was, I was really pumped that I got to finally add this to my long list of Broadway musicals uh, of the must-see you had to, so I, I, I can I can can only imagine what it was like to be, be a part of it but to see it uh, for the first time I, I would love to see it again it's just, oh, just amazing yeah I um, if, honestly I think honest for me um, it, it, there was a great deal of pressure um, to emanate Kristen Chenoweth doing what she did or the other six, you know, um, and as an understudy, um, you're not exactly given license to kind of do your own thing with the material. You have to kind of do an exact replica of whoever is assuming the role. I found it a little sad. <laughs> I was just gung ho. I had just graduated from college. Not that I should get to make all of my decisions. It just, it, it felt a little bit more like, um, it felt a little bit more like a six foot coffin than having a ton of fun. Yes, the the praise from going on, the audience reactions, the kid the kids love it. But it's, you know, that this is also when YouTube became a thing. And somebody would film you and post it online and say mean things about you. And that I was not immune to at 22 or 23. And because it was all new. The inter the internet was new, YouTube was new. Um, yeah, it was it, it, Glinda was a really difficult, um, going on for Glinda was, was difficult for me. Going on for Nessa Rose was great. <laughs> yeah. I know they don't give, I mean, I love that they include her in the show the way they do. Um, and obviously her, her story with Bach, um, which that, I mean, that, that right there, like, again, elements of the book of Wicked that I think if people don't necessarily would have gone through, I love how they weave those moments into the musical that would lead to like, now this would become the Wizard of Oz. Um, but um, yeah, she she doesn't have um, as much to do um, as of course, Glenda has a ton to do in the show. But that is, but yeah, it's an interesting point because now you're getting to the era where people can start to critique you right away online. Yeah, from your basement, people yeah. that you don't and know. Maybe not even seeing they, like you said, they see little clips here and there like, oh, I don't like what I just saw there because it's context and it's like you haven't even gone to see it or maybe they've never seen it and they're like, they just see a picture of this person and I'm bitter because I didn't get to see it. So I'm just going to bash everybody part of it. And it just, it, it's starting that, that culture trend, which we can get a whole other podcast episode about that. We might have you back for that. Uh, it's a shame. It's like, you know, this, uh, this is horrible, um, 
that online bullying and it's 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 very sad that people it took a lot of the joy out of it uh knowing every single time that you were um not uh you were being critiqued or judged if not by the people in the audience maybe by your fellow cast members um or and that you weren't actually able to do what you wanted to do with the role did you were kind of just there to be the body um and that's something that i did not learn or that i was not taught in college that that was kind of the expectation at least for this show in this situation there's been other situations where people are like do what you want you do you this one like i said it wicked was a machine you do this you do this and that's not necessarily like some of it is because it's such a large-scale show and you have to do this or you will get hurt <laughs> um, <clears throat> and they want it to continue to be a successful running entity and not have anybody get hurt or compromise on quality and all those kinds of things. Well, continuing on to to continue the success of the show, obviously, yes, we're excited that uh, Broadway is due to come back later this year with uh, many shows have already posted its return dates and things. And, you know, I know the Wicked Tour is just getting back started again. We've had talks for a long time and heard rumors for a long time that they wanted to turn this into a film. And I, we've, we've talked about on the podcast before how turning musicals into movies, for some, um, it's a good way to get people that are never really going to have the chance to go see this uh, on a stage in terms of a Broadway show or a tour or what, what say you. There's that way for people to get to experience it um, that maybe don't have that chance. But there's always the people that um, are quick to judge of how you adapt something like this. I do feel like Wicked being turned into a, a movie musical could have the, uh, obviously the scale could be very large. Like they could do a lot with the sets and all that stuff. But I do feel like no matter who they cast as Alphaba and Galinda, there's going to be people that will either be very happy for it or going to be instantly against it, no matter what. Um, we've already kind of seen that, unfortunately, with looking at, you know, Ben Platt being cast in Jeremy Hansen. A lot of half people are like, that's great because he did the musical and he can sing. The other half are like, he's too old. So it's like that fine line of, you know, we're still, I know we have a director listed and it keeps being pushed year and year and year. But what, what are your thoughts on this eventually being turned into a movie and how that will kind of um, connect to the brand of Wicked and also just think of the connecting tissue to The Wizard of Oz being a long-term movie that's beloved. How do you think the movie is going to be handled? I wish I had more um, information for you. I mean, yeah, there's really really nothing right now. It's just that we know a director's been... uh, We've been talking about it for 15 years. Yeah, Uh, John M. Chu who just did In the Heights um, and did Crazy Rich Asians, who's, you know, I think he handled In the Heights very well. Yeah, I think that's a great, I think he's a great director. Um, I honestly, I I don't know the ins and outs of why this, why the movie has been put off for so long. I don't, I don't, it seems to me like it's a winner. (laughs) I think it would do well. Straight to production. Um, It would, I mean, it would, I think it would definitely have a box office draw for sure um especially during the pandemic i'm surprised that they didn't try to get this done during the pandemic when broad when broadway was shut down um so i don't exactly know what the hold up a hold up was i'm sure there's lots of factors that i don't know about so i'm going to you know um 
naturally any any movie musical that does well makes musical theater people and Broadway people look good. So let's do it good um, and do it right. And I I think I, I hope that it's you know a, a, another crowning achievement on top of the the, the L Frank Baum legacy. Nicely put. Absolutely. There's rumors that my friend Emmy Raver Lampman is going to play Alphaba, and I think she's a great person and tremendously talented. Um, so I would love to for her. I would love that for her. Hopefully, we'll get some uh, details soon. I mean, this is already a big year for musical movies. We have four this year alone. So hopefully, uh, that ball will continue to roll. Um, but you know, what, Kate, we've we've had such fun talking about Wizard of Oz and Wick with you. Uh, now we're going to get to our guest questions. Yes. So oh my gosh, these I are put these all are all my research away. Yes, uh, this is all just a, a a speed run. This is just uh, things about you and your your type of favorite things. So uh, these are ten questions. So we'll start off with what is your favorite movie? Oh, um, I am a big fan of. Um, I, I immediately go back to childhood movies. Um, Secret of Nim has always been a huge favorite of mine. I love the Chorus Line movie. I can't help it. That's what I grew up on before I saw the show. I love Hook. I love that oh, movie. Oh, great movie. Um, those are definitely, I mean, there's, I, I love nine million movies, but off the top of my head, those top are that, yeah. top three. Number two, uh, what would you say your favorite TV show or TV series? I'm just going to, I'll just say, I'll, I'll just go out and say Downton Abbey because, or no, Game of Thrones. That's what it, I mean. Like I was obsessed with Game of Thrones. Absolutely loved it. I love the action fantasy thing. Couldn't wait for the next one. Couldn't wait. Our, this one, next one, let's see, interesting. Uh, do you have a favorite video game or video game series? Are you a gamer? I am not a gamer and I play no games. There we go. <laughs> games and games in real life. She's a... Nope. <laughs> Uh, next question, number four. What is your, this is a good one, especially with your background. What would you say your favorite style of music or favorite artist? These are really hard questions, and I really wish that you had prepped me. <laughs> uh, that was the fun of that. Well, I, I'm a musical theater artist, so I'm, I love musical theater. I also really like pop music. Um, I've really come to like country music. And uh, I don't really have a favorite artist. I like lots of artists. What is a favorite place you've traveled to? Oh, uh, Canada. Montreal and Quebec City. Had the best time on a solo trip by myself. If you're going to do solo trip, go there. Uh, this is a little, little deep, but what um, would you say inspires you or what has inspired you to be where you are today? Uh, well, what inspires me is a little different than what inspires me to be where I am today. Um, uh, as, a, as a producer... As an artist, I'm interested in stories. I'm a storyteller. I want to tell stories the best way possible. Um, I'm particularly interested in nonfiction. If it actually happened, I want to know. It's fascinating. Yeah. This kind of piggybacks off of that. Um, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Uh, I'm going to say trust your instincts. Uh, number eight, next question. What is your nerd level on a scale of one to 10? One being... Um... Like how about this? For example, number one, uh, you've seen Star or you've seen a Star Wars, and number ten, you uh, speak Wookie. Right. Um, I think it would depend on w what aspect of my life we're talking about. Fair enough. I would say honestly, like nerd level, I'm probably like seven or eight. That's pretty good. Yeah. What, my my degree is in musical theater. Same. Yeah. 
So already, like, come on. Musical theater yeah. nerd. So <laughs> nerds are varying, varying, yeah. various cultures. So yeah, but <laughs> I'm like, subjects. I'm I'm very into like geology. Like I'm nerdy. At, like I have a rock collection. I'm like nerdy about my rocks. <laughs> I'm nerdy about like game of thrones you know like if lord of the rings is on all and harry potter is on all bets are off you know we're watching those and that rock collection don't take it for granted so uh number nine what is a guilty pleasure of yours i would say um my favorite guilty pleasure like secret single behavior is i go to a, a bar by myself the sports bar and i order something delicious and i have a drink and i don't talk to anybody perfect I don't want to be talked to. I just want to be, I just want to be in society, out and about, but by myself. By yourself. Love that. Yeah. And sometimes we need that. You need those little moments. I love yeah. it. Yeah. And last but not least, number 10, uh, not sure if you're familiar with Chris and I, but we do like impressions. I don't know if you you probably heard some of mine. Uh, we always like to give this one. What is, or give us your best impression. Like if there's one impression you can do, what what is it? Well, I have a niece that's almost 11 months old, so I've been doing lots of impressions over the past year. Um, I've become pretty good at Tigger. It's Tigger, T-I-double-G-R. Um, and I do a pretty good mini. Uh-huh, it's Minnie. Oh, Mickey. Uh-huh. Love you. Love you. Uh-huh. Well, awesome. Come on, Pluto. That's great. Well, thank you for ask, answering our questions. Now, Kate, um, if anyone listening wants to uh, keep up with you, keep up with what you're doing, um, if you want to plug anything, promote anything, this is now the time where they can follow you on social media and any of that. Sure. You can definitely uh, follow me on social media. Um, I'm on Instagram at Kaloprest. Um, I'm on the Twitter as well. I just don't really enjoy the Twitter. I stay away from her because she's a dangerous animal. Uh, you can check me out on my website, katelopress.com. Uh, I am also uh, involved with all in regards to all these multi hyphens that I am. I'm also the host of a television series called Living Small NYC. It's about the most talented, interesting, and eccentric people that live in small spaces in New York City and who they are. Um, the website is livingsmallnyctv.com. And I am happy to say that we are going to a streaming service that I cannot uh, oh. disclose at this particular point, but we have been picked up by uh, a streaming service family and uh, you can check us out there very soon. But in the meantime, you can watch the whole thing on livingsmallnyctv.com. Perfect. Well, that's awesome. Congrats for that. Um, but thank you, Kate, for being on the podcast today. It's been such a blast talking about Wizard of Oz and Wicked with you. So much. So many things to talk about. Absolutely. Thanks again for joining us. And uh, we'll, have you, we'll have to have you back on in the future when um, when the movie comes out and we review it. Uh, we'll have you we'll have you back on to hear your thoughts. <laughs> right. Absolutely. That'll be interesting. Yeah. Well, take care, uh, you know, in this whole pandemic we're still dealing with. And hopefully uh, you as well. we'll be back to doing what we love very soon. So very thank soon. you, Kate. Thank you. you. Thank you. Well, Taylor, as always, uh, I love the use of this podcast. You get to meet uh, really incredible people. And Kate is nothing short of that. Uh a lot of fun, a lot of great energy, and I love her stories, especially to hear, you know, again, uh, a, a show that I have come to enjoy 
um, you know, obviously theater is uh, a main passion of mine. So I was very happy to get to hear her stories, her personal stories again of being Wicked and just overall our chat on Oz, something that I think has definitely been a part of our lives since uh, really being young children. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, you're welcome. Um, I get pretty good guests. No, I'm kidding. Uh, feather in my cap. No, I, I completely agree. Um, having the pleasure of meeting her briefly, uh, both virtually and in person. And then once again, uh, I knew that we wanted to get to talk with her at some point on this podcast. And when I mentioned this topic, she was like, Oh, I'd be, I'd be a shoe. I'm like, what? Of course I didn't research her enough. Went back and looked at all the, the, the body of work that she has. It's incredible. And, um, there's no shortage of stories with her. She is such a, uh, a force to be reckoned with of like, I love her, her positivity and her, her way of thinking. And, you know, not just, um, about, you know, this topic of wizard of Oz and wicked, but theater and, and acting and performing in general. It's just, it's just incredible. And I do like the fact that she's giving back through her, um, acting coaching and, and all that. Cause that, that's incredible. And I think we, we don't have enough good teachers out there, but yeah, this, this topic was great. It was just fun to go back and, and, and relive this. I mean, this is a huge part of our childhood. And I think a lot of these topics are, but I think nothing hits our to- uh, childhood maybe harder than this this genre, this film, um, and what it's done uh, for this franchise over, you know, over 82 years uh, since the movie came out. And before that, you know, a few years before when the books uh, from Frank on Baum's books. So, yeah, just... Um, it just makes me smile to go back and think about, you know, what this has done for not only just you and I, but generations and generations. It's truly just a remarkable um, body of work that it's and <laughs> cultural aesthetic icon that it's created. It really is. It is just uh, it's timeless and it's going to continue to be so. So thanks so much for listening today. Once again, thank you, Kate, for being on the podcast. It was such an exciting time chatting with you. And we'll catch you guys next time here on the Potential Podcast. And remember, there's no place like home. Shall we head down that yellow road, sir? Let's get to it. Thanks for listening to the Potential Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the Potential Podcast or on Twitter at the Potential Pod. Or you can email us. Send us your positive feedback and thoughts, suggestions, and more through our email the Potential Podcast at Yahoo.com. I'm your host, Chris Dewar. And I'm your host, Taylor Sokol. Stay tuned for more episodes on pop culture, entertainment, and nerdum. And remember, know, know your, your potential. potential.